Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We got another great review for you today. Yeah, we're doing Unsettled today. Super excited to talk about this one. And I'm always a little unsettled talking to you, Peter, so it's totally appropriate. I mean, th- that's not a lie. <laughs> yeah, now, if you don't know, this was Colin's number one game of 2021. That's not sure. Not sure Peter and I like it as much. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. But Colin adores this game. And, and he was very mad, by the way, Peter. He was like, what? You're doing an unsettled podcast and I'm not on it? <laughs> so, uh, you know, but we'll have to buy him something nice to, to, to apologize. That's all right. He's going to do Town Folk Tussle with you soon. That's right. That's right. We're bringing Colin back for another podcast. Townsfolk Tussle one-two punch review, baby. Nice. And then our design discussion today is going to be focused around exploration in games because, well, in Unsettled, you are not settled and you're exploring around. That's right. Alien planets. What are they like? (laughs) Magnets. How do they work? I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah, there's only one way to find out. That's play Unsettled. You can't (laughs) find out by actually exploring space. So play Unsettled. (laughs) Next closest thing, right? See, we should be their marketers. Oh, yeah. Well, and and, I mean, based on, I think, I should have the date of this. I'm pretty sure they are doing a new Kickstarter launch next Tuesday. So as of the airing of this episode, if you wait two days, uh, February 22nd, I'm pretty sure, I think they're launching a new Kickstarter. So you can, if you, if you like the sound of the game, you can get it. Because right now that they are selling the base game through their website, but I don't, I didn't see any of the extra planet boxes. So you can't get like all the content right now unless you, I guess, wait for that new campaign. Yeah, now the core box comes with two planets and then there are four extras. Correct. As of now, but they're definitely adding even more is the plan in this new Kickstarter. And and I guess we'll find out at the end of the review whether I might buy those. (laughs) Yeah, so we should probably not talk about the end of the review before we start the review or talk about what we've been playing. Mike, what have you been playing? Well, I I can't say what I've been playing because I'm not the hero here, Peter. I'm not the winner. The real heroes, the real winners are our Patreon supporters. Woo! Because uh, our Patreon has been doing really well lately. It's it's amazing. It's uh, helping us to pay the cost of the podcast, of the games we buy, of conventions we go to. A lot of these things cost money, and we are so appreciative of our Patreon supporters. And Steve needs a new computer. Let's That's be right. honest. Yeah, Steve needs a new computer. I, I got a new computer recently, uh, and the majority of why I got a new computer is because of the editing software I'm using to make the videos. Well, and for anybody who follows our stream channel, he was supposed to join me on a stream the other day and could not because his computer, not good enough. And so we had the last second pivot and Mary joined us on One Stop Co-op Shop stream channel playing Marvel Champions last Friday. So it was awesome, but Steve needs a new computer. So there you go, everybody. If you want to help Steve move, move on up to, to new technology horizons, <laughs> support our Patreon. And, and the big reason to do it, if you haven't heard about this, we've been talking about it for a little while. For the last uh, couple of months, we've been doing exclusive content every uh, week or two. Uh, videos you cannot see anywhere else. Top 10 lists and design discussions. And and I've been like doing anime reviews. <laughs> and Peter and I are going to record another one uh, after this episode tonight. So yeah, if you uh, are able to support us in any way, if your financial situation allows it, we know it's a tough time for a lot of people. We would love to have your support. And if you can't, hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the streamed channel. Keep listening to the podcast. Leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. All TikTok, that stuff baby. Yeah, or TikTok. Go check out Peter's TikToks. Oh, man. it's, it's I it's, tick and I talk. 
He, he is singing up a storm. So, you know, if you want to avoid that, you're probably wise, but you can also <laughs> yes. go check it out. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's so horrible that you're probably going to laugh. And so it's awesome. That, that, that's definitely Peter's uh, preferred brand of humor. Uh, horror. <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, what I've been playing, several crowdfunding games. Wait, you never thanked the Patreons? We went through all that. Oh my gosh, I didn't thank the names. Oh, I, I was thanking the general audience. But three specific patrons, our, our heroes this week. Cool Hand Loot, love that name. Uh, failure to Communicate <laughs> is uh, Cool Hand Loot is a co-op MVP. And Michael Hermes Meyer is a co-op champion. And Jonathan T is a co-op lover. So Cool Hand Loot, Michael and Jonathan and all of our Patreon supporters, thank you so much for your help. And yes, finally, gosh, here's what I've been playing. A lot of crowdfunding games. Kingdoms Forlorn, I just did a video for that last week. That's uh, a new boss battler mixed with adventure mechanics from the people who made Aeon Trespass. Uses a lot of the same mechanics as that and very much inspired by Kingdom Death, just like Aeon Trespass was. Uh, that's a kind of like sort of choose your own adventure and like each character has their own adventure. There's a lot of things that right now are kind of fiddly and I'm not sure how true solo is going to work. That, that's a big question mark for whether I'll like go all in on the game or not. But I still enjoyed what I played of it. And then I've been playing the newest version of Assault on Doomrock, which is a game that Peter and I have uh, really enjoyed from way back. Yeah, that has some definite influences on our design, especially one of our upcoming designs. Absolutely. So yes, absolutely. You and I are going to play that live on the stream channel whenever that Kickstarter goes live or right as it's about to go live. Yeah, I think that's going uh, in about a month in March. So my video will be up uh, for that once I film it, <laughs> get it all edited and uh, once Kickstarter launches. But yeah, it, I'm pretty happy with it. it. It still has a lot of the hiccups that the old version had. Like they didn't necessarily, quote unquote, fix everything. But a lot of it was stuff that they wanted to fix. It wasn't stuff that they see as bad. It's just something that like doesn't fit my taste. So, uh, yeah. And besides that... Well, we played some stuff together. Yeah, but- man. How about the initiative, Peter? Yeah, that one was pretty fun. I mean, we're definitely going to do a full review on that in a few weeks. Because we were going to play one game one night... And we played seven of the 14. Is that what happened? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So if you don't know, the initiative is like sort of a escape room-ish, like sort of unlock or exit-ish kind of game, but also like mixed with sort of Wheel of Fortune style, like decoding of clues, but it's not always letters. Sometimes it's number-based. I wasn't sure what to expect. And whatever I expected... It's way better than I'm enjoying. Or, you know, I won't say it's way better yet. I'll say that's the review, but it's I've been enjoying it a billion times more than I thought I would when I first heard about it. So, uh, yeah, the initiative, that one's fun. Yeah, and I did a quick stop review of that one on the TikTok channel. So there you go. That's some other benefits of TikTok. I not only sing there, but like right after we got done playing, I did like a one minute review of it. Obviously, it's just initial impressions, but you know, it's a start anyway. So if you want to see our quick impressions after we play something, uh, that's a place to do it. And we never stopped playing Similo too. We played that on uh, TikTok the other day as well. That's right. But yeah, Peter, how about uh, besides with me, what have you been playing recently? So some other things I played, I played quite a bit of Town Folk Tussle, getting ready for a review. So just a little peek behind the curtain, you and I were planning on reviewing that this week. And, you know, we don't always see eye to eye on games. And that one didn't hit as well for me as it did for you and Colin. So I decided to let you two handle it. And when I started playing Unsettled, the little sneak preview, I like that a lot better. We want to have people who love games talk about them more. So Town Folk Tussle, I liked, but not nearly as much as you two did. 
So played some of that. Been playing a lot of Imperium, both classics and legends, and just having a lot of fun with that. I think it's really good solo. I think it's probably really good two player. I haven't played it two player yet, but I have played it solo quite a bit and uh, played it three player. And I thought three player was a little much. So I think it's going to be a solo and two player game for me. Yeah, I mean, I think now that you know it really well, because when we played it, I was teaching you and Jerry. Um, and if I think Jerry got to know it well, it would play smoother. But I totally agree with you. I, I don't need the extra time, and I don't find it that much more interesting to have extra characters in there. And I think uh, some of the attack cards become a bit unbalanced with uh, three or four players. Yes. So it's certainly a solo and two-player game for me as well. But a very good one. It's to, to, to one of my top uh, deck builders right now, so I really enjoy Imperium. Well, and honestly, the way I'm going to work those attack cards from now on, if we do ever end up playing at three player is I'm just going to treat them as if it's a two player game where you're stealing from everybody. So there's one card that you steal a victory point from everybody and you get those victory points yourself. Well, instead of doing it that way, it's just you take one victory point from everybody, but instead of getting all of them, you just get one victory point. Oh, yeah, I that's mean, good. That, that keeps it balanced uh, regardless of player count. I exactly. Like and and it works for stealing brick or stealing population or whatever else. I don't know why it didn't scale that way anyway. So for those cards, if I ever did play for, with more than two players, I would just treat them as if it's a two-player game because I don't know why they don't scale at all. But yeah, they just are a million times better in multiplayer games than they are in a two-player game. Oh, for sure. All right, so uh, those are a few things we've been playing. And again, at the end of the review, we're going to discuss our thoughts on exploration in games. But let's get to Unsettled and what we thought of that one. And again, whether anybody can love it as much as Colin. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) I mean, that should be on the side of the Kickstarter. Right there. I don't know if anybody can love it as much as Colin. (laughs) Quote from Mike. Yep. That just covers all of it. It's just the one-stop co-op shop, everything. And then they could go even more meta and quote me, quoting you, quoting Colin. Boom, done, side of the box. I mean, that, that would sell me in an instant. <laughs> I, I nice. should, by the way, I am remiss. I, I should give a shout out. This is not a review copy. Howard, a very active member of our Discord and somebody we play games with and hang out with uh, quite a bit. Well, not hang out with, uh, digitally hang out with. He did not enjoy the game at all. So that, that's another opinion. <laughs> Colin and Howard on opposite uh, ends of the spectrum. And then we'll see where Peter and I fall. And Jerry, I would say, probably leans closer to the Howard side of the spectrum. And we'll talk about that a little more afterward yep, yep. as well. So Howard uh, did not enjoy it. So he sent me his entire copy. And that was amazingly generous. So thank you, Howard. And uh, yes, let's see if I like it. But uh, to get into the theme, Peter, you want to talk through that? Yeah, I mean, I think we covered it at the beginning. Basically, you're exploring new planets. And the interesting part is each planet has its own box. And then each planet has three missions associated with it. So you get to explore the planet over and over again and kind of dig deeper into the lore of that one planet. So the first planet, as an example, is a mushroom planet where every time you walk around, you're leaving spores everywhere. The second planet is a dune planet. I mean, I say dune planet, but I guess I should say desert planet. It's very severely influenced by the movie Dune. And that planet has its own specific mechanics for the overall planet. But then it has three different missions where you have three different objectives, all focused on that one planet. So each of the different boxes is its own planet that you get to run around and explore. Yeah, and uh, the one part Peter forgot of the uh, the theme is that you have been like basically sucked through a wormhole. And so you are, it, it is very much a survival game. Like the, the theme is that you are desperately trying to either escape the planet or find supplies on the planet, depends on which mission you're doing, to survive because you cannot get home, you cannot get back to Earth, except in one of the planets, they do have that as an option. So yeah, but the mechanics, Peter kind of went over the uh, broad, like kind of overview, but you have these missions to complete and everything is kind of driven by these uh, focus cubes, they call them, which are just dice that uh, have uh, numbers from hourglass, which is kind of like zero to three. 
And uh, most actions will tick those down. So it's kind of like the dice represent uh, three levels of your energy and your stamina, if you will. And uh, as they tick down, you're like less focused and you have less stamina. And if you tick down too far, then you start losing time, which you also have to spend one of every turn. And the time track will slowly kill you. <laughs> like basically every time the time cycles around, then everyone loses one endurance. And if you lose all your endurance, you lose the game. So it is very much a race against time. And you're trying to complete these different objectives. You can explore and you can uh, gather resources. You have this little robot helper that kind of moves around and uh, picks up resources for you and can like also be used with like special powers and things. But that's the basic idea. You're trying to race against time cooperatively to solve some kind of mission, some kind of objectives before you all perish. Uh, We'll get into more details, I'm sure, with the actual review elements. So I think I'll stop there. Yep. And so for those of you joining us for the first time, what we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important thing and going all the way to number one, which we think is the most important thing. Of course, all five are very important or they wouldn't even make our list. So I will start out this week and talk about our number five because you just kind of covered it. This is a race against time. There is no AI turns. Every time it tells you to take down a time, you do, which you are required to take, well, you're not required to take. On your turn, you're taking three actions with these three dice. Basically, each of them gives you one action, and there are spots to place these dice around the board or on your personal player board as well, and whatever you spot you place it on, you do whatever it says. So basically, a lot of times it says take the dice down one spot and do something, but you are always required to do a rest action, and when you do that rest action, that always takes one time. So for every player's turn, you're going to take one time, and this is Crucially important for player count as well, because after every player's turn, one time is going to go down regardless of the number of players. And you have the same number of life, basically, because every time that time track goes around once, everybody loses one health. And that's really the only way I've seen to lose health. There might be other ways to do it as well. But bottom line is that isn't going to change based on player count. So in a four player game, you are basically going to get half of the number of actions that, uh, that you're going to get in a two player game. So they do some other things to balance it out. But that is something to know is basically this is just a race against time. There's no downtime with enemy turns, AI turns. There are other things that'll move that clock. Not just once a turn does that clock go down. As you move from one space to another, there may be hourglasses between those spaces that requires time to traverse from one space to the other. But bottom line is you're basically ticking down time as the game goes along. And so that is the only AI thing you do. There's not even events in the game unless the very specific planet says that there are events in the game. Yeah, well, my uh, <laughs> you've taken a little bit of my thunder, but my number five is uh, one of the things that you just mentioned. So I, I'm definitely agreeing with you here. And this for me is a pro, but it's not going to be for everyone. And I, I personally like the term progression and how kind of quickly and smoothly it goes. Because as Peter mentioned, there is, except in some planets, and really I'll say in most planets, there is every once in a while kind of like a negative thing you have to resolve because the time track reaches some token that's been placed there. Like on the Arrakis planet uh, that Peter mentioned, they have like a sandstorm that changes and does stuff to you every once in a while. But by and large, you just kind of keep on taking your turns and it is through the actions that tire you out and through time running out because you're taking turns that everything else kind of bad happens. And I, at least in this game, thought that worked really well. I didn't need to have like a bunch of event cards I'm drawing. I didn't need to have a bunch of downtime while I fiddle with like some kind of enemy mechanics or things. I think it's a a nice, smooth system. But that being said, I feel like Jerry and some other players might look at that and be like, oh man, I... I wish there was like some event. I wish there was like an opposing force attacking us all the time, which there is in some scenarios, but not too many. But I, I know uh, some people on our Discord have talked about this. Orange Nebula really likes the idea of like nonviolent games when possible. So this is definitely like a game of like exploration and survival and not one of like fighting demons and monsters. 
Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, obviously, that was my number five point too. I liked it, but I do see other people not liking it as much. All right, my number four is the player actions. What do you do on your turn? So we said there's no AI turn, so obviously the whole game is your turn. Well, you basically do four things on your turn, and it's kind of four things, but kind of not really. So the four things are you move your character, you move your helper robot. The helper robot can explore. They can either dig up materials or mine for data in the location that they're at. And then you take your three actions with your dice. And I say three actions, but not really, because one of those actions has to be a rest action. So basically, you're taking two actions. Now, the rest action is not just a nothing action. It does pip up the dice as well as move the time marker along. So player board has six spots, six basic actions that you can do, as well as there might be actions that your helper robot lets you do on the board. And then there might be other actions to do as well. Like you can pick up materials, you can pick up data. So all those things require one of the different dice. And depending on which one you use, it might tick up this track where you're learning stuff. And, and getting scientific advancements, things like that as well. There's a lot of integrated systems here, but it's very simple and straightforward. And then you also have a personal character, which covers up one of those. It's basically just a tile that covers up one of those six spots on your personal player board that changes that a little bit. So it's not like these characters that you're playing are super unique or anything else, but it does change it up enough to make it very interesting and make your choices different. And then they also have this like friendship mechanic where you can either trust or not trust each other. And if you go to the non-trust side, your basic action flips over and it's a completely different basic action on the other side as well. So I do think there are a lot of interesting mechanics they put into these basically four actions, one of which is placing three dice. So I I think it all works together for the basic turn structure for how simple it is. I think there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And I'll be uh, bringing a lot of that up later, although not so much because you already said it. So (laughs) I'll be (laughs) saying I agree because yeah, I generally agree. But my number four, uh, this is a full on con and it would probably be like Jerry's number one, I would think. And a lot of people's number one, and not even necessarily a con for them. But I think this is one that will potentially make or break whether you want to play this game. And that is the fact that it is very much an optimization puzzle. And an optimization puzzle where a lot of it, while it's not a solvable puzzle, it is one where repeat plays of the same task on the same planet are markedly easier because you know what's coming up ahead of you. So to talk about the optimization part, Peter and I already mentioned this, but you've got the time as like your main thing. And it's very much a case of like you have very limited action. This is not a game where you can just like kind of go around and exploring. This is not No Man's Sky, the board game. This is not, uh, you know, some kind of like peaceful, like little adventure game. This is, oh God, oh God, we're all going to die in like an hour. Do this, do that. Like try to perfectly plan your actions out. So I call this a full-on con, even though I do enjoy that part of the puzzle because I think it's the most potentially off-putting part of the game. And the other big thing is, like like I said, once you play a planet and a task, it's not that it's not fun to play again. I have played multiple tasks multiple times, and I still enjoy them, especially when I'm playing with new players since I get to see them experience it. But even for me, there is enough variety, and I'll kind of talk about that later and how the planet comes out and how the cards come out and all that kind of stuff that it does feel different. But still, like in some tasks, you're going to know, oh, I'll need to build a blue building later so you can do it earlier. And you wouldn't have been able to do that earlier without that knowledge. Or, oh, I need to be over on this side because this is going to happen. Or, oh, I need to prepare for this. It's similar to something like Arkham Horror LCG, except even more pronounced. Because in Arkham, things are a bit more random with like when the cards come out and stuff. And I feel like this is a bit more consistent in how the scenarios play out. 
So it is going to potentially impact uh, replay value. It is potentially going to impact value kind of assessment for the game overall. And again, I think that optimization puzzle and the fact that time just keeps ticking and that is like your main enemy. You just run out of turns. That's not something everybody likes. <laughs> so th- that's going to be a make or break thing for this game for a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like our number fours are like a conglomeration of what the other people are going to talk about higher up on the list because that one hit a couple of my points as well. So I'm going to hold off on commenting on all that stuff until we get there for my list. But my number three is that every planet and every mission is unique. And when I play on that fungal planet and I play mission one, it is very different from mission two and it is very different from mission three, but I do feel like I am on the same planet. So the core rules for the planet stay the same, but you get three unique missions within that planet and they do vary quite a bit from one to the other. And so I feel like every time you're playing the game, if you are playing something different than you've played before, then you are experiencing something completely new. And the exploring of those different missions is very satisfying for me. Yes, it's puzzly for sure, but it's a puzzle that I enjoy doing and it's fun to explore. And normally in these games, I don't always care about reading the stuff. And this is a game you very much can just flip over a tile when you do explorations and see what it's going to give you. And it'll just say, get this as a bonus on the bottom. And then you could just see what your task is and do that task and never read the theme or the fluff of it. But I feel like you're missing a lot if you do that. And I'll get into it a little bit more in one of my future points. But I do feel like every planet has a lot to explore if you're willing to explore it. And so I'm going to leave it there for now. But uh, I'm definitely going to pick up on that point on my next point as well. Well, yeah, and I'm coming to it too. But uh, I'm going to talk about something none of us have mentioned yet. Yay. Pro number three. I love this. And this is, I think, one of Colin's favorite things, like when he was recommending the game to me. This is one of the things that he really highlighted. And those are the uh, cooperative combos with breakthroughs and anomalies. And primarily breakthroughs. So to explain, uh, there's this insight track for each of the players, each of the astronauts. And uh, as you do different actions and like move on different places and discover things on the planet, it increases. And whenever it reaches the top, it goes back around to the bottom and you get basically a technology card. And these are completely unique for each planet. Like Peter said, lots of variety in the planets. And these are not only cool abilities that let you use the different resources, the three resources you can collect in fun ways. But the best thing is that they have tons of cooperative potential. Like uh, you can move other astronauts, you can heal other astronauts, you can teleport other astronauts, you can give them stuff, you can make their actions easier, like you can uh, repair their dice, like so many cool things you can do. And if you're playing solo, it makes the puzzle of like how you play out your turns and the combos you can achieve way better. If you're playing cooperative, it can lead to great table talk and like you kind of helping each other out with your abilities. Now, the one negative of that, and this is not one for our group necessarily, but it's one that people probably want to know about is that there is no hidden information in any of that. So it's definitely open to quarterbacking. And the rules do try to kind of go against this. Like they say specifically, they're like, hey, don't use somebody else's card. Like you can say, hey, can you help me out with that card? But they are the owner of that card. Make sure they are the one like with the agency. They are the one using that power to help you out. They make that clear. But <laughs> some groups, if you have a full-on alpha player in the group, they're going to be like, hey, okay, I'll use your thing. And then I use that card over there. And then I use that person's card. And they're going to be a jerk about it. And it could uh, not work quite as well. But if you're in a good co-op group or if you're playing solo, I, I love the way these uh, cards combo together and the interplay between them. And again, how they highlight the variety of each of the planets. Really nice uh, cooperative system. Well, not just that, but a lot of the cards trigger off of where the bot is. So just moving that around, it can be both a pro and a con. I think you're right about that. I think for us and people who love co-op games, it's going to be a full-on pro. But 
you have to remember that all the resources are shared that you gather and everything as well. So anybody could take those resources, you know, and sometimes some players can feel a little bit left out. I know my first game, I was the only one that didn't get basically those technology breakthroughs. I wasn't getting any of my own because I was letting you guys use the materials to bump up yours and get yours because you just seemed to need them at the time that we were required to get them. You guys were the ones who needed them. So I do think if you're not into that group way of playing, I do think there is a little bit of a con in there for you. But for me, it doesn't bother me. But again, I also think this is going to be a lower player count game for me because you basically have the same number of turns as I talked about earlier, regardless of the number of players. So you're just dividing those turns more and more based on the number of players you have at the table. So I do think at a lower player count game, you're getting more of that decision space yourself. So it isn't one of my points, but I do think it's worth noting. I don't mind it, but I also don't mind it because I think I wouldn't play this game at four players and I'm very unlikely to play it at three players again also. All right, but getting to my number two, and that is the exploration. So there is exploration in this. Any tile you go to, and tile is very loose word here. They're actually cardstock tiles. They are as big as a tile, but they are definitely cardstock. Uh, any tile that you go to, you can explore. And there's these little tokens you put on there that basically says you've already explored there. And again, every planet has a unique exploration deck. You flip over this thing, and it gives you a little story about the planet, tells you a little bit of a story of what's going on there. It gives you some perks for doing that, or maybe even some penalties for doing that. And then it gives you a little task that you can complete either in the tile you're on, or sometimes it says, put it on this tile or move it over here or whatever. So there are a lot of cool story moments that come out of that. And this is what I wanted to come back to with the story. I'm typically somebody when I play Lords of Waterdeep or one of the games like that, where there's just like, here's a white cube and a red cube. I'm going to go ahead and do that mission. And the story doesn't really matter for me. In a lot of these games, I think the story gets in the way for me specifically, But the writing here for me was so good that these exploration tiles, as simple as it is, like just get this bonus and then you can do this little task here. I wanted to explore everywhere. And I know you said you don't have time to do that, but on the early planets, you definitely do, especially if it's something that's part of your mission or whatever else. I don't know, for my son specifically too, he loved going around and just exploring all those tiles. And the nice part is that they're giving you a little bonus to do that. And you're basically only using one of your dice. And then if you want to complete it, you're using a second dice. But usually the bonuses they give you will repay those actions in kind. Now, sometimes you just have to rush to get a mission done or whatever else, and you don't have time to explore. But a lot of times, again, they're giving you resources back to help you with the rest of that puzzle and help you do the rest of that puzzle. I know in some games, when you explore, like nothing but bad stuff happens to you on some cards, and maybe that happens. I haven't really seen that in this game. You know, if that happens, I might get a little bit frustrated by it because you're spending an action, you're spending time to get a negative thing to happen. But I think by the method that they do it, and the fact that they're usually giving you bonuses for doing it, I think the action is never necessarily a wasted action. It's just like, maybe I can't do it now. Maybe I'll have to find some time later to do it. So I don't know. I really like the way that worked. And I did like the writing in this game a whole lot. It was very entertaining for me. A lot of times these stories in these games isn't worth getting into, but I found the writing very good, very humorous. And I was looking forward to it. My son and I, neither of us are good readers. If you've watched any of the streams, you know, I can't read for Jack. My son reads just as poorly as I do, and we still had fun, and we still read every single card because it was a huge part of what made this game great for us. 
So uh, getting into my final thoughts a little bit, but I think the exploration, the exploration action, I know it can be frustrating when it doesn't feel like you don't have time for it, but I do think it's a, a huge part of the game and I do think it's a fun part of the game. And usually those actions will end up paying for themselves down the road. Yeah, and it was it sort of surprised me because like I, I made my list and I realized that I hadn't put the humorous writing on there. So I guess it would be my number six, but I agree with you, Peter. Like it is great writing and funny. I, how many games are funny? Like the last one I can think of is the plaid hat pirate one, Forgotten Waters. That was yeah, pretty but- funny sometimes. Like that's the, and, and we actually had Grant uh, Lyons, who's a comedian and like has his own YouTube channel. Like we had him on to kind of talk about the humor of that one. And this is another one that I think is like actually <laughs> like makes me laugh out loud funny sometimes. But yeah, my number two uh, is going back to Peter's and he already said most of it. I really like the basic action system of the game. I think the management, I love resource management and the management of your focus cubes, the dice, and kind of trying to make sure like your energy stays up. I think that's great. They balance it just right that you are getting more and more tired and like your reserves are getting further and further down until you find that map tile that lets you rest, until you lower morale by being selfish and sleeping during the day, until you, uh, you, you know, find the breakthrough card that lets you eat some green sludge to heal yourself. So, so it's a really nice job of things slowly beating you down and having tough choices of which dice you want to use. And I don't think Peter mentioned this, but uh, most of the actions in the game give you a bonus if you use a specific color die because you have three different colors of dice. So like that's another kind of interesting mechanic in there. And Peter already mentioned the great overlays for your characters that even if you play the same mission, change up like kind of what special action you have available and, you know, minorly affect what actions you might be doing and which ones you might be better at. So I, I like all of that. And that, that's the majority of like what you're doing on your turn is making these choices with these dice, with these focus cubes. And I personally think it's a great action system. Yeah. And then when it hits the bottom, one thing we didn't discuss is you can still use those dice that are on their zero spot with the hourglass, but it just ticks down time one for every spot that you would normally have to go beyond that. So I've certainly had games where I've had to use dice that were on that zero spot. It's like, well, I could take a rest action, but that's going to hurt us in other ways. So it really does. And that leads into my number one, which is this game is a huge puzzle and I love it. I, I didn't think you'd give this much. I'm kind of surprised. I'm not, not that you're in your final thoughts yet, but uh, sorry, go yeah, on, go on. No, no, no. I mean, these points are getting better and better as we go along. And honestly, for me, the puzzle gets better as you played it. I, I think the first time it wasn't as great an experience playing it three players, and maybe that's part of it too. I think playing it lower play. Actually, our second game was at three players too, and I had a much better time the second time. Once I kind of knew what I was doing, I think that first game, there's going to be a little bumps and bruises in the road as you're like trying to learn the system. Well, I, I don't forget, don't forget Peter <laughs> for, for, for context for everyone I thought I knew how to play the game from watching like a third of Colin's video and I didn't actually read the rule book at all when I was teaching Peter and Jerry that didn't go well uh, you know at least at least look at the rule book before you try to teach a game Colin's awesome his videos are awesome but that's not necessarily enough by itself <laughs> oh, okay yeah well so all right lesson learned but bottom line is that second game I really really enjoyed and it's funny because Jerry's response like both jerry and i after the first game we were like yeah i'm not sure about this one after the second game i loved it though i was definitely sold seeing a different planet playing a different mission it really sold me on that puzzliness of the game but i like that in games and jerry doesn't like that as much jerry didn't like deep madness i like deep madness because of the puzzliness of it i think cthulhu death may die is another one that has this puzzling mechanic in it even though they're very thematic games now that one has a lot more dice rolling so there's some more randomness in it than you're going to see in this one but I don't know. I just 
just love the story in this one. But my number one is the puzzliness of it. I just loved how that puzzle worked out. And I loved how I could go, okay, if we can get the Explorer bot here, he can pull you one spot. And then if we can move him again using a power, then we can use this blue data cube to have him pull you another spot or push you a spot or whatever else. Like there's this cool puzzle that's created by the movement stuff on the board. And that's always one of my favorite things in games. Anytime there's a tactical puzzle there, I love it. And this game does it very, very well. It's funny you mentioned that this, there's not a lot of combat and it's like a not a combat oriented game. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. And there still was enough puzzle in there and there was still enough interesting stuff in there to keep me going. I didn't care that I wasn't fighting things. You know that Earthborn Rangers game? When, when you mentioned the no fighting thing, I thought about Earthborn Rangers because that was their big thing. I felt like I was fighting in Earthborn Rangers <laughs> way more than I felt like I was fighting. So there's definitely a billion monsters and like animals attacking you. Now you can run away from them or capture them nonviolently, but yeah, they're definitely in your face. Whereas this one, there's like maybe a couple missions where like actual things are flying at you. And even then it's more about escaping them. Yeah. So this really felt like a survival puzzle to me. And I hear you on the point saying that the missions are very similar because the only randomization you're really going to have is the order you get those discoveries and the order that the events like the exploration tiles come out. And if you're not exploring very much, then there's not going to be any differences, but there's six missions in the core game on two different planets. And I feel like it's probably not enough for you to forget by the time you're done the sixth one and go back to the first one to forget everything. But I feel like you get a couple more planets beyond that. And then you can probably go back to those missions later on and not have any, re- I mean, not that you're not going to have any recollection, but we talk about this with unlocking games like that too. You can replay those games as long as enough time or enough things have happened between when you play your first game and your second game. I don't feel like this is the kind of game. It's not like a 30 minute game. Each game is going to be about an hour, an hour and a half. And so I think if you've played six missions, you could probably go back to that first one. And yes, you'll remember some of the story beats, but you're not going to remember exactly what you need to do. So So I do think you can go back and replay them, but each mission from what I've seen so far is its own unique puzzle. And I've really enjoyed playing them. I'm really happy to hear that, man. I'm I'm glad you liked it more than I thought you would. Uh, My number one is also a pro and this is one Peter mentioned uh, much earlier, but this goes into our different tastes and that's uh, yeah, the planet variety. I I think I've played more planets than you, Peter. I played four out of the six. Correct. I've only played the the core two because I want to a lot of times for these reviews, I want to keep it to the core box because, well, I guess it's a Kickstarter game. So you never know. I guess it all kind of comes together. But I want to have the every man's opinion of, look, if I just got the core box, is there enough in there? Yeah. So just to go into, I mean, like I won't spoil much, but like there's a one planet where you're like moving around planetary bodies and like rotating them and like adjacency changes. There's some where like almost no tiles are laid out and you're like actually exploring whatever direction you want. And like you kind of decide how the map is built. The sand planet one, I think is amazing. Like I love the sandstorm there. And then like the movement puzzle of leaving fungus behind you on the fungus planet and, you know, fully unique discoveries, fully unique uh, exploration cards, fully unique uh, abilities you can unlock. Each of the tasks feels very different. So I, I love this. And and like Peter said, I fully recommend, I think it's more fun to not play all three tasks for a given planet in a row, but yes. instead jump around from planet to planet, which does lead into, you know, some of my final thoughts about uh, the value and getting extra planets, because I think you need extra planets to really maybe get the full value of this game. But that being said, I, th- I think it's a great one. And, you know, even though my number four was a full on con for the fact that there is like repeat play knowledge. I've played that first mission four times now, I think, the first task on the first planet. 
I, I play it again. Like I, I still enjoy it. And it, it just goes back to like Peter was saying, how good that like optimization puzzle is and how fun those combos are and the variety and how things come out and like which power I have on my Explorer. I think all of that gives it more variety than it seems like it should with a game like this. Like these are not one-off scenarios that you never need to play again. So just to kind of go into my final thoughts, I love this one. I think if I played it last year, it would have been near the top of my list. I don't think it would have been number one like Colin, but it probably would have been, gosh, top five, maybe top three. I think this game is great. The one caveat I do want to say though, and this is in my video review too, I think the core box is a little bit over $100 and it's only two planets. It's a little bit of a rougher price there. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but I th- how and, much and is I- each planet beyond that? Well, so so that's exactly it. Each planet is I think fifteen dollars MSRP. Oh yeah, which is crazy. So so here's the thing, and and like you'll see the pricing for the new Kickstarter again a few days after this goes up. If you for some reason only want to buy the base game, like a hundred dollars is all you have to drop on this, don't do it. Yeah, I mean, not even not even don't do it, because I'm not saying it's not worth $100. The production is beautiful. The way they have, like, the game all packaged together, I think is awesome, like, with game trays and stuff. So I'm not saying, like, they didn't put the money into the game and, like, you're overpaying, like, through the nose or something. But I don't know if Two Planets is going to keep your attention for the long haul for, like, $100 plus of worth. Well, especially because the first two planets are the easiest to yes, as well. Yes, exactly. I mean, the game is somewhat challenging, but not that challenging where I, I don't I think you're going to beat the first two planets so a lot of the missions on those pretty easily whereas I think you know you're going to want a harder challenge and a higher challenge level I definitely think you should at least buy a couple of extra planets I would say two minimum looking at the you know the different planets they offer just see which ones appeal to you most because they give a little description I'm sure of each of the planets when you're buying them and so you can kind of tell even by looking at the picture of the planet on the outside of the box what kind of an experience you're in for yeah so yeah the the big thing is if you're willing to buy even two more planets that's 30 more dollars and you know probably less they'll probably have some bundle with the kickstarter that's 30 more dollars for double the content, you know, like literally twice as much stuff to play. And like Peter and I both said, if you, you know, leave a task for a while and come back, you can get like that joy of exploring it again. And if you switch from one planet to another, you can get that joy of exploring it again. And I think like three or four planets is probably the sweet spot. So I'm very happy to have all six of them. And I'm probably going to go all in on the new content with the Kickstarter. And when I say probably, I mean definitely because I love this game. Um, (laughs) Well, and I'm glad that you're going all in because I'm going to enjoy the fruits of that. uh, Yeah, you can can borrow it again and play play, it. We can play it together. But uh, again, like I would would think of the game as like almost considered a $130 game. But then for like a ton of really good content. And I think you're getting like a better picture of like what the real value to like cost ratio is. Yeah. And I think what you get in the core box for a hundred dollars, and I want to go into components a little bit, cause that's kind of my number six point. It's so cool to pull those components out with the game trays. And they even have a little diagram on the side of the box showing you how to put it in. It's little touches like that, that make this game go above and beyond the value that you're paying for it. The game trays themselves are not superfluous in this. They're not just a good storage solution. They literally are being used as game components in the game. So you're, you know, you're placing them out as you're pulling these trays out. You're like, okay, this is this board. This is that board. It helps set up. It speeds up setup and teardown. Each planet again has its own unique stuff. So everything for that planet is in its own little planet box and it's all tucked away in these nice little game trays as well. So I do think there's a lot of value in this one. As you could tell, I'm super excited about it. I really enjoyed it. It definitely 
knocked Town Tussle out for me, which is part of the reason I was like, can you guys do that one? Because I'm super excited about this. I agree with you. It definitely would have been in my top five from last year. No questions asked if we played it last year. And who knows? Hopefully it survives all year this year and it'll make it in my top five games from this year. But I really enjoyed this one. And I'm not an exploration type person. I'm not a story game type person. And so for me to say these things is pretty impressive. Now, again, we do have to caveat it with Jerry did not like it. And he does like story games and he does like exploration. So it might not appeal to the same people that you would think it would appeal to. But I think if you're into tactical puzzles, I think it's going to appeal to you. Those same people that maybe even like Spirit Island, the tactical puzzle there, it's not exactly the same kind of tactical puzzle. But I do think there is a lot of that in there where it's somewhat mechanical, but I think it's got a great story on top of it. So for me, it hit all the right nodes, certainly after that first game anyway, (laughs) which which was a little rougher. Yeah, and and it is interesting, I think, that, you know, I am more the story and narrative and adventure kind of guy out of the two of us. But that wasn't one of my points, you know, like, again, like the story, which I think is great, is like number six or number seven or something like wasn't on the list. Because I also love this one because of the resource management, because of the card combos, because of the tactical puzzle. Like, that is, I think, the best part of the game. And the fact that they wrote this hilarious story that I actually want to read is just totally icing on the cake. You know, like they could have done none of that. And I still would really like this game because the mechanics are so good. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so uh, Peter said he's not a big fan of exploration, but apparently Unsettled is a big one. That, that is a three-for-three three OSCS love for Unsettled. Colin, Peter, and Mike. So if you tend to align with any of us, this is definitely worth checking out. Again, new Kickstarter coming this coming Tuesday, the 22nd, I believe. But Howard and Jerry don't like it. So yes. but we have to remember that Jerry doesn't like cooperative things. So there, there is that to be said as well. I think this is a very co-op-y game. And, and if you enjoy the things that, you know, the discussions that happen during co-op-y games, you're probably going to enjoy this one. Although I know you said there can be some quarterbacking, but I didn't really tend to look at other people's dice and know what they do. I think it's more like, Hey, can you help me out? I need that helper bot over by me on my turn. Maybe can you get some power or can you, you know, it was more like, Hey, I'm thinking about what I need to do, but in order for me to get there, I might need some help from you. And do you have actions available to help me out with that thing? I don't think it was like a, you should go there and get two power and do this or do whatever. It was more like, Hey, I need some help over here. Can somebody like help me out? But I do think it's a very co-op-y game. But yes, let's let's done with Unsettled. Let's get into... Yeah, that, that was a longer review. So we'll keep our design discussion short, but we're going to talk about exploration. And so I'll, I'll start us off. Uh, exploration in games is something that I tend to really enjoy. But the big thing for me and the major difference, and I kind of like and dislike different aspects when they go these different ways, is whether it is what I'll call sort of a procedurally generated exploration experience That's like where you are building out the dungeon a different way each time or cards come out in a different order each time sort of combines exploration with a bit of emergent storytelling in a way and like kind of creating your own unique story each time you play, you know, exploring that kind of thing, like finding what's hidden in the cards in a random order each way compared to exploration that is a more kind of catered experience, you know, like exploring a map that is like Seventh Continent. It's always the same map, but you are discovering it for yourself. Discover Lands Unknown, I think, is very similar. Well, but Discover Lands Unknown... Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I I think... No, I think that was... I feel like it was randomized. Well, each 
box was randomized, certainly. And I think there were some randomized elements in it as well. But it was still, you need to hit story point A before you well, hit yes, story yes, point yes, B yes. before you hit C. I think the tokens were randomized where they were on the board. There was a couple of random elements. But it was certainly very much a linear story in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for me, the big thing is, I won't say I like one or the other better. But I feel like I tend to get more for my value. I tend to get more replay with the procedurally generated, with kind of the randomized exploration. But you tend to get a tighter experience, better narrative, better like, oh, wow moments when they have the full control of like catering and specifically putting things in specific places in a meaningful, like intentional way. Do you kind of go the same direction, Peter? Well, I think it's a continuum. I I don't think it's fully one way or another i do think you gave some good examples of the extremes and i just remembered you do randomize the tiles in uh, discover land unknown so yes different things can be different places i like a combination of those two things so i i like kind of an in the middle game where there is some procedurally generated stuff where you're going to discover new stuff each time you go to a place the different map tiles are going to be placed in different places or whatever but then there's a little bit of control in there too maybe they put your goal tile as one of the last three tiles or one of the last five tiles or something like that. So you got to go through and yes, there's going to be some random element to it, but there's also a little bit of control. And actually Unsettled does this a little bit with some of the maps, like everything will be face down and you don't know where anything is. And some of them, they say, no, really put these tiles face up over here. And you know, there's going to be key points at some point in the story. So I do like kind of a hybrid of those two, because I think the negatives of full on just explore wherever you want with no restrictions would lead to a game like I forget that one where there's tiles where literally your goal tile could be the first thing you flip over on a turn. And then you- uh- Maximum Apocalypse? Yes, Maximum Apocalypse is a a perfect example of, I think it can go too far in a situation where it's just like, it could be whatever you want. Maybe the game will take five minutes and maybe it'll take two hours. I don't know. Like I think there are some extremes that I don't necessarily love, but I also think it can be too sterile if you've got none of that exploration element in there and it's just a straight up narrative linear story where maybe it's not sterile the first time you play it, but it certainly kills replayability for it. Well, and as you mentioned, Peter, there's a lot of kind of hybrid ways to build replay in when it is pretty controlled. So just to run through a few examples, Seventh Continent has the, I think they're called exploration cards that are randomly dealt out from a big deck. So yes, every time you go north from the spot, if you memorize it, you know you're going to come to like these cliffs. But this time to get to those cliffs, you have to get by a bear. And this other time to get to the cliffs, you have to like dodge around some like smoke or something. You know, so they have like a little bit of randomization, but still the coolness or (laughs) negative of learning the island i think that's in some way going to be cool for people like i've actually learned where things are in the seventh continent i know where a fishing hole is from here because i've been here before but it could also be a negative well and there is one thing for me that becomes negative in these exploration games and that's when the exploration can be totally swingy now don't get me wrong i like some level of swinginess but one thing i was talking about with unsettled is that when you explore you know you're going to get something good on that tile something positive is going to come you don't know exactly what it is and maybe it's you know different degrees of how good it is but one game i hated is that one where you explore and like you'd randomly lose a life or something like that and nothing good would come of it now i've spent one of my precious actions to do this thing that only hurt me and i totally get that it's way more realistic, right? But it is very frustrating. And actually, what was that Star Trek game, that three-player Star Trek game we played with Jerry? 
Star Trek Ascendancy? Yeah. So, like, for example, this game, Star Trek Ascendancy, the first time I played it, I don't even remember what race I was, but the first thing I did was go off and explore, right? It's Star Trek. You go explore new worlds. So I go to explore a new world, and literally my entire fleet blew up on turn one. Like, stuff like that. I don't mind variants, but if I'm going to spend an action, I don't want to be kicked for doing an action, right? Like, in a multiplayer game specifically, I guess it's a little less bad in a co-op game. But it's still frustrating to me. If I'm exploring, I want something good to happen. Maybe there's some consequences along with it, but I still want to feel like I'm getting something out of it. Exploring should be exciting. I should want to do this thing in your game. And games that discourage me from exploring, I don't find as appealing. Now, I know for some people it would be different. But for me, that's the way I feel about it. No, and I'm with you. And I think, you know, just to use 4Xs, because Star Trek Ascendancy is definitely a 4X some of them, uh, I remember Eclipse had this too, right? Like you could go into a place and like just blow up. Zaya has that where it's like- you That move. was Zaya. That wasn't Eclipse. Well, but doesn't Eclipse have like randomness of like what's next to your home planet? If you have like a bunch of like the aliens next to your home planet, you could be like in a really bad starting position. Yes, but you draw two and you get to pick one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's so a it's then. a little bit better. But yes, you certainly can get better and worse tiles. Now, one thing they did in that game is said you could take the action- but if you didn't like the result, you could put both tiles away and just pretend you never took that action. Now, you still spent the action, right. but like, nope, that wasn't next to me. <laughs> just like we sent the probe out. Nothing was there. I don't know what happened. But I agree with you, like exploration rewarding you or what I like is when games will balance the negative against the reward. So sure, sure. Th- this tile hurts you. Oh, man, there was like poison gas there. But that's because there's an awesome treasure chest in the middle. You know, like g- give me something to ease the pain. So that I still have that positive feeling of like, uh, I want to go out and see what's around me. (laughs) Because what a terrible thing to do, especially in a cooperative exploration game where you're not like racing each other. What a terrible thing to do in a cooperative game with exploration to disincentivize exploring, you know, like and make it like a negative experience. So it's like, I'm afraid to explore. That's, That's a terrible thing to do. What was that game that did that? I can't think of the one. You put the like cubes on to show you explored on that tile already. And that was the one where there's a big boss puzzle at the end. Oh, gosh. I don't remember. I can't remember the name of that game. But that's the thing that drove me the most crazy with that game was I'd explore and sometimes I get something freaking awesome. And then other times I explore and like I'd lose stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, uh, Exodus, that one. It might have been that one. I mean, that, that one definitely had the issue that it, it was a very specific balance thing. They had too many negative effects from, like, the explore action. So I just stopped taking the explore action entirely. Exactly <laughs> right. And it, it, it takes away one of your options because if 50% of the time or even a third of the time something bad happens, then I'm not going to be encouraged to take that action because I'm spending my few valuable resources and I'm getting negative things to happen to me. So it's like a double whammy. I lost an action and whatever else bad you're doing. But I agree with you. I do like it where sometimes you get something bad, but you're still going to get something good out of it. Or like you said, they'll balance it where the worse the negative they give you, the bigger the positive they give you on the other end. And look, we're well aware that you can't make those 100% balance, right? Because then there's no excitement. You can't say, I take one gold and give you two population, or I take one population and give you two gold, right? At some point, that gets boring when it's that formulaic. 
But I do think that if you've got some variance in there, so you have some level of like jackpot, what I'd rather see in something like that is, oh, I put a coin in. Oh, I get this little thing. Oh, I put a coin in. Oh, I get this little thing. Oh, I put a coin in. Oh, I get this giant thing. Oh my gosh, it's amazing, right? I'd rather see the amazing thing on the good side rather than I put something in. Oh, this time I got kicked in the face. Next time, oh, I got kicked in the knee, right? Like, oh, yay, I get a little benefit. Yeah, that was worth it. No, no, no. I, I want to see the excitement be on the good side of things. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. And just to mention something uh, for people who are designing a game like uh, Maximum Apocalypse, and there's a lot of games that do this, you know, where you're kind of searching for specific tiles. Fireteam Zero also has that thing. This was one of my complaints about the game, potentially, that, like, you know, the one card you need to win the scenario could be the last card or could be in the middle. And you could be done, like, really early or really late. But I think some games uh, handle that in a smoother way. Two of my favorites with like procedurally generated maps. Uh, these are both, well, actually, uh, the first one's competitive. Claustrophobia, that's the competitive one. In their scenarios, they tend to like have a counter that you're taking down. Like the first scenario does that. You're like ticking until you get to 10, and then you'll always like find the exit there. I thought that worked really well. You know, like it's not about it being randomly in a pile. You know, you got to move 10 times, and you're just trying to strategically make those 10 moves as safe as they can be. And then uh, Valor and Villainy, that uh, we've <laughs> gone on quite a bit about. Uh, That one also, I really like how they do it because it's not about digging down to a certain tile. Basically, you're either trying to get five events, which come up very often, or you're trying to close off the dungeon. And that's like a pretty consistent thing for how you can do that. So I think those are two ones that people are trying to do like a game where you build out the map and like kind of create the map yourself. I think those do it very well and in a way that's not super random and super swingy where the game could be 10 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes because of just like where things ended up being in the exploration pile. Yeah, but overall for me, I think the benefit of putting exploration in your game is it does lead to excitement. And that's why I don't want to kill the excitement by saying make all your rewards exactly the same, right? I I do think there is some jackpot element to it where, you know, finding these super cool things or exploring and finding something new is a really cool mechanic, but it's got to be worth it. As we've said, don't make that action less valuable than other actions just because it gives you the super cool thing. I actually think Above and Below, which was a competitive game, Ryan Lockett game where is this like Euro game mechanics but the most fun thing in the game was the exploration but it just wasn't worth it a lot of times it wasn't the thing that was gonna help you win the game you needed to do it a couple times but you wanted to do it every turn right so like I do think that if you're gonna have an exploration element in your game you want to make it a cool thing to do and you want to make it kind of a central point because I think if you don't your players might get confused right? They're like, oh, this is an exploration game. And that's what they want to do. Or if that's what they have fun doing, at least make it an option and a viable option to continue to do that exploration thing. If people don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. But that's the balance I like in the game is either make it all about exploration, or if it's going to be an option, make it a viable option. Don't make it something that's super fun and super cool to do, but you only get to do it once or twice a game. All right, so uh, there you go. A few suggestions for exploration in your game, and at least some things that Peter and I enjoy. And I mean, exploration can be, you know, maps. It can also just be like finding out what cards are or seeing what your scenario is. So lots of fun things to play around with. But thanks for listening, everybody. Peter and I are going to go record a uh, video for exclusive Patreon uh, awesomeness. So <laughs> feel free to uh, check that out if you are a Patreon supporter. And uh, yeah, we'll be doing some more stuff. Like Peter said, I'll be covering Townsfolk Tussle soon. We'll probably be talking about the initiative soon. So lots of good stuff uh, coming down the pike. Actually, I've got an Imperium review coming up as well with uh, not you. So I think we've done like 
three or four reviews without each other already this year. That's more than we've done in three years combined, I think. But uh, hey, you know, we got sick of each other. It was bound to happen at some point. Hey, hey, Peter, it's one day after Valentine's Day and I heart you, buddy. I heart you too, Mike. (laughs) All right, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Are we even recording our lovely musical medley? I know, I know. I, I should have started recording as I was in the middle of singing, but you know, when I get singing, that that's all that matters. That's right. You gotta gotta give into the music. Yes. People who have watched the stream channel are well aware that I give into the music quite often. <laughs> or or our new TikTok. Everyone check out our TikTok. Yeah, we're we're talking and we're ticking. Tickety tickety talk, y'all. Tickety time of uh, the tiny's ticking. That didn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that didn't even work a little bit. But welcome everybody. Uh, it is it is time. Hold on, for... we haven't even said hello yet. <laughs> I, I'm saying hello right now. I'm saying hello. Hello, We're everyone. Not changing our hello after almost 300 episodes. Get out of here. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Yeah. You know when you make Valentine's comments to me, I become very unsettled. Ooh, awkward. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs>